We say it. You are worthy. You are worth everything that we have. We love you today. We honor you. We ask you today as the uh, missionary martyr Jim Elliott said, we pray along uh, with that prayer of his, Lord, light these idle sticks of my life and may they burn up for you. I ask not for a long life, but for a full one, Lord Jesus. We pray that our lives will be full of you. Our lives will be full of passion and zeal, knowledge and counsel. We invite you, precious Holy Spirit, to come and teach us today. And uh, Lord, wherever we are in our journey, that we would all come to know you better today as a result of your grace. Help me, Lord, to help your people, God. Uh, Give me those words and those actions that would be helpful today. And let Jesus be preeminent and have first place among many brethren and sisters here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a pleasure to be here today. Good morning, CFCF. (laughs) I am am, uh, excited about God, but not just because of some emotionalism, but because of the truth that what we're singing here on Sunday mornings is the truth that the kingdom of Jesus is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion will endure forever and we're going to get to be a part of it. So I just encourage you, if we can't get excited about that, our exciters are broken. And But God's into healing your exciter to get you excited and encouraged for Him. Whatever word you want to use, built up, strengthened, excited, it doesn't matter to me. But God is good. Thank you, band, for leading us out this morning. Today we're going to continue... Um, with uh, our series on the parables of Jesus. Have you been enjoying that a little bit? I've been enjoying it. It's been nice, good. I encourage you, as uh, I have the last couple of weeks, to follow along uh, and read ahead. Anybody read ahead this week? Yeah, okay. A few of you there? Good. Well, um, I'm sure you may have something to tell me after the service. I'm going to share with you what God has spoken to me and I uh, believe you, uh, believe you me, it's going to be good. <laughs> Not because I'm good, but because he is good. So we're going to look and continue in this uh, series of the parables of Jesus. We looked last week at the parable of the mustard seed. Anybody still have your mustard seed around? Somebody told me after the service last week that he ate it. So I don't know. I mean, look for a tree coming out of his mouth. Um, today, we're going to talk about the parable of the hidden treasure. Otherwise known as the parable of the treasure hidden in a field. We're going to get into that parable in a minute. But I'd like to share with you a little bit of my life. In 1996, I was in the nation of China. I met a Chinese brother today. Ni hao, brother. Good to see you there. And uh, I was in the nation of China in the city in the northwest part of China called Xi'an. Everybody say it with me. Xi'an. That's close, uh, I hope. But as I was in this city, I was leading a team with our training school from our local church. And we were there for 10 weeks. And we had the opportunity on weekends to go and to see various uh, pieces and parts of Chinese wenhua. Wenhua is culture, okay? So we got to see a little bit of Chinese culture. And one of the things that we got to see was a treasure hidden... In a field. Well, isn't that interesting? Yes. And uh, that treasure was the Terracotta Warriors. Has anybody out there heard of the Terracotta Warriors? If you've been to a Chinese food restaurant, 
you've probably seen at least a facsimile or whatever of uh, one of those. But the terracotta warriors were discovered in 1974 in a field. A group of farmers were out digging in a field to dig a well. And guess what? They began finding these body parts of these warriors and other pieces, and they discovered that under the ground were over 8,000 soldiers, 130 chariots, and uh, uh, 700 horses, a huge army, and most of it is still underground. But these, this army was built for the first emperor of China, Chen Shi Huang, and he brought the six parts of China together to be one. Uh, he, there was, they were disparate parts, and he brought it all together. And he had this army built to be with him and protect him in his afterlife. That's what the purpose was. And so we got to see this treasure, amazing vaults of just soldier after soldier and, and chariots and all, just wild deal. We got to see this amazing treasure. The question I have is, can you imagine being those soldiers and finding that treasure hidden in a field, you know, we all have something that we treasure. Every one of us, uh, for some of us, something that we'd give anything for, something that we give almost anything for. Uh, for some people, uh, unfortunately, uh, that has been uh, success, a career uh, beyond uh, appropriate bounds. Of course, we're for uh, success in your career. But for some, it's, it's, it's giving everything they have to have a larger home or, or a higher standard of living or a nice car or something like that. But for many of us, uh, as I think in my demographic, it's our children. They're a treasure to us. Anybody out there feel that way? We would do anything for our children. And if anything was going to happen to them, we'd even lay our lives down on their behalf if it came down to it. For some of us, it's family and, and some friends. I'm thinking today, as Mr. Sherratt is here, again, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about Rob uh, and being able to give a transplant for his father. That is an example of his father is a treasure to Rob, Mr. Surratt. He's a treasure to us. Welcome. So glad you're here today. But there is a treasure in each of our hearts. We tend to treasure something or someone. And so I want to look today at the parable of the hidden treasure, or you could call it the treasure hidden in the field. Let's look first, though, at the location and the setting of where we are. If you remember of the last couple of weeks, Jesus... Oh, don't you love Jesus? <laughs> Just say His name. I almost have to stop. Jesus is sitting by the Sea of Galilee... And he is speaking, he's sitting or standing, I'm not quite sure, but he's speaking to a crowd, and it's a big crowd. And what he is doing, he's telling, as we've looked at Matthew 13, and we're following in Matthew 13 at this part of our series, he's telling them the secrets of the kingdom of heaven in a group of eight parables. And the first parables we've looked at, this huge crowd is there. And the purpose that Jesus has for telling these parables is to separate, help me with it, What's he separating? The devoted followers from the casual observers, right? Those who would say, ah, Jesus is kind of interesting versus those who would run up to him afterwards and say, Jesus, what did you mean? I have to know you, Jesus. Well, anyway, he's been separating out these folks um, in his grace and in his love. 
And you know what? He never wants to separate you out, by the way, of His kingdom. He always wants to separate you in. You want me to say that again? God wants to separate you to Himself. He never wants to push you away. He's always drawing you to. It's a matter of your resistance or His. Uh, but we cannot over-resist Him if we'll hum- humble ourselves to Him. Anyway, so Jesus is speaking, but... And so the verse we're going to speak of today is Matthew 13, verse 44. In verse 36, however, after several parables, Jesus ends up and he is, uh, he's been by the lake, the sea, Lake Gennesaret, otherwise known as Sea of Galilee, and he ends up walking into a house. So we have a shift of scenery. We have a shift of context, okay? You following that with me? Jesus sits It comes into the house and he is followed by his disciples, a.k.a. otherwise known as his devoted followers. They're with him. And he tells a series of three parables, which the parable of the hidden treasure is the first. Okay? But after he tells those parables, in verse 53, he says, Do you understand these things? And guess what they say? They say yes. Why do they say yes? If it's just a crowd around him, they don't say yes. They say, uh. No, because he is with his devoted followers and they say, yes, we do understand. So we need to understand as Jesus starts with this parable of the hidden treasure that he is with his devoted followers. He has separated out, in one sense, the devoted followers from the... uh, Uh, Casual observers, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Let's read now in uh, Matthew 13, chapter 13, and verse 44. You can look it up on your U version or whatever version you want to call it on your smartphone. As I said a few weeks ago, those with dumb phones are actually probably the smart ones. But those with smartphones like me can turn to Matthew 13, 44, or you can look above me. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that Field. Say it with me. Bought that field. Think about that. We don't know what the guy was doing. He was walking along. Maybe he was trespassing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he uh, knew a friend. I don't know. But he was walking along and he finds a treasure hidden in a field. Maybe he's... We don't know the purpose. But Jesus said it's in the field. And uh, out of joy he went and bought the field. By selling everything he had. I want to make one more note here, which is that in the time, in this time in the East, it was a common thing for people to hide a treasure in the field. They didn't have a savings and loan, necessarily. I don't think so. Unless one of you bankers can come and tell me. They didn't have uh, as many opportunities to hide their treasures in different places. And their home would be an obvious place. So treasure hidden in the field was not uncommon. Once again, Jesus is taking something common... And he's drawing it in in order to illustrate the kingdom of heaven. Don't you love Jesus that he speaks to you where you are according to your life? Jesus is not going to speak to you the exact same way that he's going to speak to me, but he is going to speak to you. Come to me. So, here we are. 
I want to talk to you this morning about what the meaning of this parable is. And uh, in order to properly interpret it, I want to go back for a second to uh, look again at the context and location. Jesus is where today? He's in a house, right? He's in a house. And who is he addressing? His disciples, his devoted followers, okay? You got it? He's not addressing that crowd as in the previous parables we've discussed. But Jesus is comparing the man in the field to these disciples. He's saying, you disciples have found treasure hidden in a field. You have found the treasure of great worth. And uh, the kingdom of God, the treasure in a field. So Jesus is challenging his disciples, his followers, to true discipleship. Let's break this down a little bit for you, if we may. The man in the field. Who is the man in the field in this parable? That is the disciple, the follower of Jesus. He is in the field and he is going through the field. He finds, when he finds the treasure, what is the treasure? The treasure is the kingdom of heaven, otherwise known as the kingdom of God. Those are two interchangeable things. If you hear kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing. Okay? So the disciple is going through the field, finds the treasure in the field, which is the kingdom of God, the king and his kingdom. What is the field? It's in the world. As he's going around in the world and he finds that treasure above all things. And then he sells all that he has. He lets go of every competing treasure. Every treasure. Everything that would be precious to him. He lets go of it so that he can buy that field and have what? Have that treasure. Again, that he can possess the kingdom of heaven. Not his own possessing of it, but he can have the rightful inheritance that was given to him. Now, so again, we're saying the man in the field is the disciple. The, he finds the treasure, the kingdom of heaven. He, he, the treasure is hidden in this world, right? It's hard to find sometimes in the midst of competing thoughts and agendas. And he sells all that he has in order to buy that treasure. This is how I interpret this particular scripture. I didn't tell you the whole thing this morning until now. I interpret this in this way, and it's supported by such commentaries as John Wesley's explanatory notes, John Gill's explanation of the Bible, seminarian out there appreciates this, John Calvin's commentary of the Bible. So it's supported by these particular commentaries, and it's the most prevalent view of this scripture. And I gave you the reason that I believe it is this way. There is, however, a less common interpretation of this scripture, which I do not ascribe to as the primary meaning of this. But I do want to let you know it and got a little something for us out of it. There's another interpretation which I want to mention here. Some other scholars subscribe to this less common interpretation. Uh, Here's how it goes. This interpretation goes by this premise. Just see it with me. The man in the field is Jesus. Okay? Who finds the treasure, his people, right? He finds the treasure hidden in the field, the world, right? Jesus finds his people hidden in the world, so to speak. And he sells all that he has. 
He dies on the cross and lays his life down in order to buy, purchase that field with the treasure in it. To purchase his people. Now, because of what I've told you earlier, I do not believe... uh, Well, I'm sorry, I'll go back a second. This interpretation can be found in John Darby's synopsis of the New Testament. John Darby uh, was a Plymouth Brethren and held this viewpoint. Now, I don't believe this second interpretation is the chief meaning of this parable. But, and this is important in us understanding the Bible, I do believe (laughs) that it speaks of a vitally important spiritual reality. I do not believe it is heresy, (laughs) what is spoken of here. I think it is clearly the gospel message. Um, And I believe that I I would like, because I feel led from the Lord in it, to synthesize the predominant one, which I believe is the true... uh, the the thrust of what Jesus is saying with the less predominant one synthesize it together for you and come up with a a vital principle of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Does that sound okay to you? Well, if not, run for the door now because here it comes. (laughs) Oh, please don't run. Here we go. Hear this one. Jesus purchased you as His treasure... So that you could seek Him and His kingdom as your treasure. Say that again with me. Jesus purchased you as His treasure. Jesus purchased me as as His treasure. So that I could seek Him and His kingdom as my treasure. Let's break this down. How about it? Not talking about a breakdown dance, but I will speak here to you. Jesus purchased you as His treasure. Man, oh man alive. (laughs) Jesus, who is and always has been God. The one of ultimate worth. Jesus is of ultimate worth. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. And He valued you so much. He valued you, each and every one of you in this room, so much that He laid His life down. He died a violent, let us not deceive ourselves. The cross was the electric chair of its day. It was a violent death that Jesus died. A taking of the sin and death of mankind on Himself. For you... Now, my father used to tell me something. It's a common phrase. He had a lot of those in his Texas drawl. He'd say, Son, something's only worth what someone's willing to, be, uh, willing to pay for it. Right? I'd be telling him, This is worth this. I could get this. You know, he said, Son, something's only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Well, I got some news for you today. (laughs) Oh, praise Jesus. Listen, I feel my heart breaks in some ways here today that you don't know it. But the truth of the matter is, there are people out here in this congregation wondering if you're worth anything. Wondering if you have any value. Wondering if your life really makes a difference. And what I want to say to you today is that the King of glory purchased you. You are worth the body. You are worth the blood of the King of kings and of the Lord of lords. There is no greater worth than that. You are valuable because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise His holy name. That's where I say... Let's get our exciters fixed and get excited about that today. Well, Jesus, who is and always has been God, (laughs) did this for us. Um, 
There's a song that was written by a man named Kurt Kaiser. Some of you might know this song, uh, It Only Takes a Spark. I, saw, I sang that a million times when I was young. But he wrote another song and I thought it was applicable toward the purchase of Jesus for us today. And here are these profound words I want to speak to you. Oh, how He loves you and me. Oh, how He loves you and me. He gave His life. What more could He give? Oh, how He loves you and me. Praise His holy name. Jesus purchased you as His treasure. So that, so we're talking about Jesus purchased you. Man, you should be feeling His grace today. Of great value and worth, I take all the lies off you of lack of worth and value. And so your value is in Him. But He purchased you as His treasure so that you could spend it on yourselves? So that you could do your own thing? No. So that you could seek Him and His kingdom as your treasure of great worth. Which you're willing to lay every competing treasure aside for. You're willing to lay your life down for Him. You see, Jesus has always been of infinite worth. Jesus didn't become of infinite worth after He died and rose again. Jesus has been of infinite worth before the world began. The problem was, we were broken due to sin from understanding and reveling and treasuring that worth. But what Jesus has done through His death, burial, and resurrection is He's he's put the death blow, not only to sin and death, but He's put the death blow to all of man's strivings. How can I be good enough for God? i got news for you today. You can't. You're not. And you never would have been. See, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in Him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Praise His holy name. So, so we could seek Him. The very first line in A.W. Tozier, his inspiring book, The Pursuit of God, says this, Christian theology teaches the doctrine of prevenient grace, which briefly stated means that before a man can seek God, God must first have sought the man. You see what I'm saying? Let's see this. Jesus purchased you as His treasure. Now you pursue Him. But that doctrine of provenient grace, the grace that goes before, should keep us from all strivings of what I have to prove. Of me having to earn or deserve my salvation. You can't do it. You couldn't do enough good to offset the, the, the sin and death. Amen. <laughs> because Jesus purchased you as His treasure, you can seek Him. And seek Him as your treasure. Not out of an obligation, but out of thankfulness. Out of saying, Jesus, You purchased me. You gave Your blood for me. Anything I give to You. Not as I've said before, the song which has been twisted in our day. I've never literally heard it sung this way, but not I surrender some. I surrender some. What I want to, I will give it. And you can have the rest. You know, or whatever. No. Oh. Everything. You're my treasure. Anything in the way, anything that comes between me and you, Jesus, I'm white hot passionate for you because you were white hot passionate for me. I'm all in for you, Jesus, because you're all in for me. I'm not ashamed to be made fun of for you, though I'm not trying to be made fun of, because you died naked on a tree. Praise His holy name. 
If we really understand His love of us, His seeking of us, and what we've been freed from, then we will seek Him in His kingdom as our treasure above all things. Again, not because we have to. You don't have to seek Jesus. You get to. (laughs) The disciples counted it worthy in Acts chapter 5 to suffer for His name. They were like, we get to. I'm I'm not into some kind of weird, you know, aestheticism and trying to get in, in problems, but it's worthy. He's worthy. Anyway, I want to tell you an illustration of the concept of Him purchasing us as, as His treasures so that we could seek and pursue Him and His kingdom as our treasure is found in the lives of a couple of friends of mine, Dana Curry Masterson and Heather Mercer Alcuri. <laughs> They've gained names since this story. In 1998, I was in the city of Kabul, Kabul, Afghanistan. I was with a short-term team, again, that I was leading, and several people on this team were considering whether they were going to serve in Afghanistan among the widows and the orphans and the broken. And I went on this team, and Dana and Heather were with me. Uh, and with our team. <clears throat> and these ladies saw the destruction and saw the devastation, but they saw the broken lives too. And they chose to give their lives for the purpose of Jesus in Afghanistan. They said, yes, Jesus, we will go long term. And so they went uh, later in 1999, 2000, I'm not sure the exact day, but they went back to serve long term, serving the widows and the poor. And believe you me, after 20 plus years of war, there were lots of widows, lots of orphans. They went back to serve them with all their hearts. And they went back not just serving them in deed, but in word, preaching the good news of Jesus. And because of their message of Jesus and the salvation that comes through Jesus, they were thrown into prison. Yes, they were thrown into prison. In Afghanistan, not probably where you want to be. In Kabul. And they were there for 104 days. From August the 4th, I believe it was, 2001. uh, 104 days later, they were released from prison. And the ladies shared about what they endured in that time in prison. Some of the things uh, Heather shared with some of us later, that she used to have to sleep uh, sitting up because... Uh, the worms, the intestinal worms would come out of her mouth if she uh, laid down. How about that one? That's a nice, fun thing. (laughs) My goodness. I'm sorry. But I wanted to let you know, they went through a few things. They also were there. Do you recognize the dates here? August, 104 days. What happened in between there? September 11th, 2001. Uh, They were in jail and heard bombs raining down upon the city. American bombs. At any time they could have been destroyed. Well anyway, 104 days later, the same Jesus that rescued Peter from the prison in Acts chapter 12 rescued my friends Dana and Heather from the prison that they were in. But their prayer was, Lord, don't release us from prison until you release these people from the prison they've been in. Anyway... Got a little excited there. Back to my purpose here. After they were released from prison, they were in the midst of kind of a media frenzy, at least for them or for any of our friends. They uh, were brought back to America and they spoke on Fox News, CNN. They were on Larry King Live. It was so funny seeing Dana... (laughs) 
just totally, they gave us these jackets. You know, she was so unenamored with it all. But anyway, they were on speaking tours, Christian speaking tours. They wrote a book, I don't know if any of you read it, called Prisoners of Hope, you know, talking about their, their experience. But at one point along the way, after several months of them going through this, Dana Curry shared with some close friends, and she said, you know what? I miss prison. We're like, okay, Dana, they didn't feed you enough in prison or something because, you know. But she said, I don't miss prison because I want to be in prison. I miss prison because in the midst of all this busyness and all this stuff and all of these nice hotels and all this great food and all these people, I miss the presence of Jesus and the presence of His kingdom. You see, Dana Curry and Heather Mercer learned that there was a treasure, Jesus, hidden in the field of this earth that it was worth giving everything for. That that treasure was of greater worth or greater value than anything else they could imagine. Because Jesus had purchased them as His treasure, they found Jesus and His kingdom to be their treasure above all things. Praise His holy name. I want to talk today as we close to seekers in this audience. I've said before, I want people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus to come and be with us and be with me. Because I want you to come to know Him. <laughs> I'll be honest. But today, I want to address you in response to this truth. I want you to know that Jesus sought you as His treasure. You may not know who He is. You may have just heard about Him. But He sought you as His treasure. He gave His blood for you. And if you haven't understood that, it's, it's one thing to know. Maybe today you're saying, wow, I understand. Jesus purchased me. But I want to ask you to consider personally receiving Jesus as your treasure above all things. He is the one worth it. If you've never received what Jesus has done for you to bring you into relationship with Him, I want to explain four quick things, very quick, that you need to agree with and then invite you to receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as your treasure of infinite worth. The first thing is to admit. I want to say these four things. Admit, confess, believe, receive. Admit that you are a sinner. And that you deserve punishment. In this day which says, uh, you know, man is basically good. We have to come against that. The Bible coming counterculture against that and saying, man... Though He is made in the image of God due to sin, was born into sin and born into evil. So you have to admit that you're a sinner and deserve punishment from God. What is that punishment? Eternal separation in a place called hell. A place that is absent of the presence of God and the goodness of God. The second thing, first is that you admit. Second, you confess that there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing. There's no good work that you could do to make him, uh, um, uh, to make it all right. Because sin uh, is a stain that God in Isaiah 66, it says that all of our righteousness is a filthy rag to God. You see, and he's, it even speaks, that filthy rag, speaking of a menstrual cloth, he is talking filthy rag. But believe, so admit that you're a sinner. Confess that there's nothing you can do. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He did. 
How do I know? Because I know Him. And I know He's an extrovert. And I know He wants to know you. And I know that Jesus didn't die just for a few. Jesus died that all might come to know Him. I tell you today, believe that He died upon the cross. That He took your punishment. I don't know what your sin is. I don't know if it's anger, if it's bitterness, if it's sexual sin, if it's all of it, if it's none of it, it's something. But Jesus took it all upon Himself in your place. And then you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Once you get to that place and saying, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything to change it. But I believe you died for me. Then you just get to that humble place and you receive it. It's not enough just to know that Jesus died for your sins. That's a nice thing. Many, many, many millions of people know that Jesus died on the cross. Have you reached out? And receive what He has done by faith. That is the key today. I want you to repeat this prayer. And I want you, as you receive Jesus, to commit to seeking Him as your treasure for the rest of your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Let's all close our eyes. If this is your desire today. If you have never given your life to follow Jesus. Repeat this after me. God, I admit that I am a sinner. I was born into sin and have lived in rebellion against You. I confess to You, God, that there's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. No amount of good can outweigh the wickedness in my heart. I believe You, God, that Jesus died on the cross in my place. For my sins, so that I could be forgiven and live for eternity with you, God. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior, and commit to seeking you as my treasure for the rest of my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you're now born again. I'm not afraid of that term. I know Jimmy Carter got (laughs) labeled with it in the 70s. And those born-again believers, you have been born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You won't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. That means you have become, you've had a new spiritual birthday today if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have been justified What is justified? This is just first steps in discipleship for you. Just as if I had never sinned. Your sins have been forgiven. And God has washed you clean. And He's given you a new life. And I invite you. I say, I'm here for you. We're here for you to take those steps in following Jesus. Now that you've received Him, it says, "...to as many have received Him," in the book of John... To him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who call on his name. You are now a child of God. You are now a part of this family, though you've always been welcome. You are now a part of the spiritual family of God called the church. And I welcome you in. And I just say, let's walk together. The only other thing I would like to say today, as we're in transition, is that if you, as a believer here, have had anything in your life that you have placed as a treasure above and beyond Jesus. Let's be honest. We're the best at kidding ourselves. (laughs) But I just want to ask you today to think about Christ Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. Think about the new life that He's given you. And then 
to think, is there any competing treasure in my life that I've allowed to come before Him? Is there anything I've said, I'm not willing to give that? Well, Jesus says today, come to me, for my burden is easy and yoke is light. Though the surrender may be violent for you, <laughs> the, the treasure is all the more worth it. Jesus, the Son of God. Once again, Jesus purchased you as His treasure so that you could seek Him and His kingdom as your treasure for the rest of your life and for the rest of eternity. Let's stand. We're going to just worship a song, sing a song of worship. We're going to have a baptism today that Seth and the band's going to play. I just want you today to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and just lay anything aside that you need to for the sake of Him as your treasure. He treasures you. Come and treasure Him.